South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. Hey, hey, hey. The Blue Jays won a series at the Trop. It can't be all that bad. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the stadium scene.tv network and part of the Overtime Media crew. So yeah, the Blue Jays won a series at the Trop. The House of Horrors tale, it's gone. But there are a lot of other things that we need to address regarding your Toronto Blue Jays. Joining me tonight to discuss all things Blue Jays is Brendan Panikar of the Jay Bird Watching Podcast. Brendan, man, glad to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Adam. It's uh, nice to double dip this week and uh, record a different show. It's nice to talk Blue Jays more than once per week. Yeah, man, you know, it's been, I don't know about you, but it's for me, it's been one of those weeks, especially this weekend. Everything was just off. Like, ever, ever, ever since the trade deadline, everything has been just off. And um, I don't know. I, I know you don't have kids, but are you around children at all, like, on the regular or even on the irregular? I was actually around uh, my uh, little cousins. One, I think, is seven, and one is four on the weekend. So from time to time, I'll see them, but definitely not as regularly as you. Obviously, yeah, well... If they ever, ever, if the parents would ever, ever tell you that the child has come down with hand, foot, and mouth, run away. Dude, run away as far as possible and stay the fuck away from that child because I got to tell you, I don't know if you ever heard of this. This is the first time I've ever heard of this disease or this illness. Hand, foot, and mouth. It is the absolute fucking worst thing ever. Didn't it go around a hockey team not too long ago? I could have swore I saw that go around on Twitter during the hockey season. And everybody was really, really confused as to how that even became a thing. I'll have to look that up after because I swear I saw Leafs Twitter going on about that. But, uh, yeah, I've heard of that before. And believe me, I will take your advice and run the other way. Dude. All right. So my daughter had it, and it starts off with, like, a super high fever. Right. And we're, you know, just thinking this will pass. She's, you know, growing teeth. And usually when a child grows out teeth, they get they spike a fever. Not a big deal. All of a sudden we see this like rash on her mouth. And I'm just like, oh, boy, here we go. And it was just one little dot, like a zit. And then the next morning, her face is covered. Her feet are covered. And I'm just like. This is not good. And everything you read online, they say, oh, it's not that big of a deal for an adult. Like, they, they barely feel anything. For the child, it's hell. But for an adult, you probably won't even catch it. Fucking liars. Liars. I'm telling you, liars. It was <laughs> the worst experience, bro. Like, it was one of those. I, I spiked 102 fever this weekend. It was one of those fevers that you're just in delirium. And you just, Holy like, crap. have no. Yeah, dude. It's like you have no idea what's going on. It's awful. Oh, uh, uh, well, I'm hopefully it's gone. I'm assuming you're doing much better now. But yeah, I, uh, I hope I never come in contact with that. It sounds terrible. Yeah. If anybody ever tells you, oh, you know, if you, you might not even get it as an adult, just run, just run. Like, don't even take the <laughs> chance. Just 
run away, run away as far as possible. Um, but yeah, I am feeling better, and so is my daughter. It's usually like a four or five day thing, but thankfully, or maybe you know, unthankfully, however you want to look at it, it was just over the weekend, so I didn't miss any work or anything. But yeah, oh, dude, good. hell, yeah, awful. Got to make that money, bro. <sighs> I know, I know, especially when <laughs> when your child is sick. All right, um, so look, it's been it's been a week since the trade deadline, right? And I, as like you, like all Blue Jays fans, have had a week to let this simmer. And I admit the knee-jerk reaction for me was that of bewilderment last week, especially this time last week. Um, but after giving it a week to let it, you know, settle in, the Sanchez-Biagini-Stevenson trade still seems a bit odd to me. And I don't want to be that guy that just shits all over the front office, but I feel like this... This is something that we need to address, and just calling out Shatkins is a super easy way out. So let's unpack it. Have you found any sort of grace when it comes to this move, or are you still in a state of puzzlement when it comes to that trade? Like, especially after the bounce back and the no-hitter performance combined between Biagini and Aaron Sanchez. Um, How do you feel about this trade a week later? Oh, God. When... uh... I knew, when I noticed that Aaron Sanchez was throwing a no-no, I turned on the game and I saw Sanchez's last inning and I saw Biagini come out and I pitched, I believe, the eight. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to have to stay so far away from Twitter tonight <laughs> because this is just going to ignite Twitter into a frenzy. And I, I, for the most part, I think my timeline was pretty, pretty okay, pretty cool, but there was definitely some people who were complaining. But you know what? It, uh, when the deal was announced, or the details were coming out that Sanchez had been traded. I actually I think it was Biagini first and then yeah. Sanchez. I kind of figured, you know what, they're probably getting packaged together right. and getting sent to Houston. I definitely thought it'd be more than Derek Fisher, but once they once I saw that Cal Stevenson was included in t- uh, as well at first, I was like, whoa, I don't like that trade at all. I know in, in being on, or Jaybird watching all the time with Craig, he is really high on Cal Stevenson and he was not happy about him being included. I think I would have been completely fine with it if it was just Sanchez and just Joe Biagini. But Cal Stevenson pushed it a little bit more towards uh, the jury still out for me on that trade. But it, it's interesting because I tried to look at all the different ways to justify it at the time, and I'm not sure I was able to. I tried to think, well, Derek Fisher, he's a project. He's kind of buried in Houston. He's 25, turning 26. He's a little definitely on the older side, no longer a prospect. So maybe he just needs an extended run, but I kind of looked at him as a project where the Astros were also taking on a project in Aaron Sanchez because weeks before people were not even wanting him to make his turn through the rotation and everybody was calling him to go to the bullpen. Biagini, you know what? You can replace him with anybody. I, I love how much, and we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but he still did have quite a bit of team control. <laughs> not yeah. to bring up that term, yeah. but uh you can replace Biagini with anybody down there. Justin Schaefer, uh, I'm sure we'll see Tyler Facito or Kirby Sneed at some point from Buffalo uh, and other guys down in the bullpen. But, yeah, I think the jury's still out. But there is a lot of good with Derek Fisher, I will say. He hits the ball hard. He's really fast. It's like close to elite speed. It's almost 30. Uh, his sprint, uh, sprint speed is it's close to 30, which is pretty elite speed. So he has all the tools. He just got to put it together. Maybe he needs an extended run of big league time, something the Astros just couldn't do him. It makes me wonder if the the angst from the fan base was more of a result of the quantity in and out 
and not so much the quality, right? I'm not saying that Fisher is going to be the guy that is going to light it up in years' time. Maybe he can. I don't know. But when it comes to the fact that, you know, you're right, Joe Biagini being traded, it's whatever. He was a Rule 5 pick. We caught lightning in a bottle as a result, and it's great. Like, I, I don't want to minimize anything Joe Biagini has done for this team. In fact, you know, you specifically, it's kind of ironic that we're talking about it. You came face-to-face with him and broke the Kendrick Morales news to him. And, you know, I'm sure, like, in in Blue Jays lore, he has a special place in there. But when, or you're right, when you look at Cal Stevenson and even throw in Aaron Sanchez, all three of these guys, for just one dude who is, at current time, really no more than a quad-A player, I don't know, man. It just seemed a little puzzling to me. And, you know, with the the pretty much the backlog of outfielders that we have, this isn't even considering, like, what's going on with Anthony Alford. What does this mean for him moving forward? Teoscar Hernandez has looked pretty good lately. What does this mean for him moving forward? Is the front office going to force this issue and make Teoscar earn this moving forward rather than the natural having Derek Fisher have to earn it moving forward? I don't know. These are the questions that I think it are rattling the fan base, and I don't necessarily think that they're illegitimate. I definitely think that the quantity thing uh, is, is fully what people are thinking, because honestly, that's the complete opposite of what I thought a lot of the deadline trade would be. You think then they're packaging, so, or they're sending somebody to another team, they're trying to get as much talent into the system as possible. But the three guys for Derek Fisher... It also puzzles me that it took that many people because he's buried down there. Right. Either that means the Astros thought he still could be something, maybe when Michael Brantley is done, because he's a little bit on the older side, even though he's bounced back beautifully now that he's healthy for Houston. But, yeah, I mean, it's the complete opposite of what I thought any trade would be, really, because they're still looking for quantity of prospects to add to the system by sending off one or two guys in a deal. But, yeah, I think it's, it, it's, it's weird, and I didn't like how they tried to justify the trade to the fan base because it seemed like a little bit of a slap in the face. But I don't know. They must really, really like Derek Fisher. That's the only thing I could take away from that. And uh, I, I trust that hopefully they can get him right. I mean, luckily today we can talk about him hitting the home run, which is nice to see. A lot of power in his bat, but he still has a lot of work to do to become that, uh, that quality guy and make the jump from a quad A player to a legitimate everyday major leaguer. Yeah, and you know, it's... It's one of those things that makes me wonder. So the the Houston Astros are kind of a top-notch organization right now. Like, you can throw them and the Dodgers out there as a team that's, like, quote-unquote, doing it right. Meaning developing their players, meaning having a, a system in place that they can uh, utilize players in their minor league system in the event that something were to happen. They have a nice, con, uh, a nice assembly line to sort of uh, go back and forth on. The thing that bewilders me about this if Derek Fisher was as talented as it, it put it this way if it takes three guys to t- to get a Derek Fisher that means the Astros really value Derek Fisher but if they really value Derek Fisher wouldn't Derek Fisher be playing in the majors right now that's what you think that's what, definitely what you think and it makes me think that they were really really unwilling to part with him uh, unless the Blue gave them a little bit more than what was required. So maybe that's why they had to go with the quantity aspect of things. My guess is, especially when it comes to Aaron Sanchez, is that 
Blue Jays weren't willing to keep him around past the deadline in hopes that he would rebuild his value, there was a risk there to take. It's like either he continues to go out and be the high five, low six ERA guy that he's been all year and get even less for him in the offseason or next trade deadline, or you just take a risk and see what you can get because maybe he won't bounce back. I mean, obviously, Houston, as you said, quality organization. I think anytime they come asking for one of your pitchers now, you should maybe stay away and consider keeping that guy because they've had such a good track record of turning guys around into legitimate starters. One thing I, I heard on the radio the other day, which is very interesting, is you know how all these teams were bringing in these new technologies to spring training over the last few years, the Rapsodo technology with pitching? Yeah. The thing that the guest said on the radio was that other teams, they had it, but are not necessar- don't necessarily know how to interpret that data to make pitchers better. The Astros have known how to do that for like the last five or six years with the Rapsodo technology. So players understand what makes them better based on that. So I would not be surprised at all if they are able to fix Aaron Sanchez and he turns into the guy that we really were hoping would become and hopefully dump back too. But yeah, there's, there is a lot to unpack from that trade. And the only thing that we can hope now, I guess, is that Derek Fisher turns into the guy that the organization thinks he can become. But as you said, that brings up a lot of other questions with the state of the outfield prospects in this organization. What is going on with Anthony Offer? He hasn't played very much lately in Buffalo. What about Jonathan Davis? It pushes him further down the line. It pushes a lot of guys further down the line. But you know what? I guess you just got to add as much talent into your system and your organization as possible. That you got to hit on one of these guys. And if they hit on Fisher, then I think we'll all be happy. Yeah, yeah. I, it's not like I want the guy to fail. There, look, you can make jokes about the pop fly, the, pretty much a routine pop fly to the face. I thought it was funny. But, I mean, like, it was just, yeah, it's just bad timing, right? Like, this is a guy that's at the center of it all when it comes to Blue Jays' vitriol, right, from the fan base. Like, all eyes are on Derek Fisher right now, and any single microscopic mistake he's going to make is going to be amplified times a million on Twitter. And it's just going to go at his direction. It's, it seems like a lot of Blue Jays fans out there are ready to point the finger and say, I told you so. Um, I don't want him to fail. But I guess what bothers me about it is, you know, Ross Atkins was made an appearance on the radio show and he said, that this deal doesn't get done unless Aaron Sanchez is included. And it makes me wonder, when you make when he makes statements like that, it sort of illustrates that he was the one reaching out to the Astros regarding Derek Fisher and not vice versa, not the Astros reaching out um, searching for bullpen, bullpen and or starting pitching help. Um, and if that's the case... I don't know. I I don't know that I have a lot of confidence in the way that this front office sort of fishes out their players that they want, no pun intended, on Derek Fisher here. But, like, (laughs) it makes me wonder, like, I don't know, man. It seems like you might have gotten a little fleeced. Like, if Atkins calls the Astros, he's like, yo, we're looking for Derek Fisher. They're sort of, like, holding the phone down. It's like, this guy really wants Derek Fisher. Oh, my God. And they (laughs) they come back and he's like, yeah, I don't know. We really like him, man. You're going to have to do better. All right, fine. We'll throw in Aaron Sanchez. Done. Like, it just that's the vibe I get from this trade. Or am I reading this wrong? 
I don't know. It, it's interesting. I actually I didn't hear that part of Ross Atkins' radio appearance, so that's news to me and definitely provides a different angle to think on this trade. I'm, I'm going to try my best to look at it and justify it going forward as they traded Aaron Sanchez for Derek Fisher. And to sweeten the pot in my mind, there'll be a genie to help your bullpen. And you know what? A guy who's older for his level in Cal Stevenson was thrown in to just give them an outfield prospect. I think you could write off Genie because he can replace him in a bullpen so easily these days. And I guess I don't know what Cal Stevenson will become. I'm not sure if he will become anything. We had on uh, Jay Bird watching guys from the Radio Scouts uh, on Twitter, and they host a podcast. And the one guy made a very good point. Cal Stevenson doesn't have a lot of power. And guys who don't have a lot of power down in the minor league tend to phase out as uh, they go up in levels. So if there's a chance that Cal Stevenson never becomes anything, but Aaron Sanchez could become something and could outperform Derek Fisher for the next few years with the Houston Astros. If that's the case, then it could be chopped up as a box trade by this front office for sure. I don't know, man. It just We all know that the name of the game right now is pitching. This is what the Blue Jays need to acquire or really hone in on, and it just seems counterintuitive to me that they trade away two pitchers when they need pitching. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other thing I was surprised at, I thought that maybe we would be getting another guy, or I'm also kind of surprised that it was Derek Fisher that they were targeting because every single trade that they made uh, outside of that was all to get pitching in the organization. I mean, I thought maybe there was a chance they could get a guy like Corbin Martin or J.B. Bukowskis from the Astros, both guys having down years dealing with a little bit of injury history. If it was one of them coming back for that much, I probably would have been much happier because you add a quality arm to your, to your organization, which is what they need right now, and they still need it going forward. I, yeah, I was surprised that Fisher was the target, especially when you send that many, uh, that many guys to the Houston Astros. All right, well, not to you know add fuel to the fire here. I don't want to reignite rage amongst Twitter uh, and you know Blue Jays Twitter out there. But to put a bow on this portion of the conversation, um, do you have hopes for Derek Fisher? As you mentioned, he did a home run today. You could see that there was a, a sort of a weight lifted off his shoulders, and probably from you know that angst and that microscope that's been under him since arriving to the Blue Jays. Um, is is that I know it's just one home run, and I know lefty hitters are attractive, but does that give you hope moving forward for the aspect of having Derek Fisher on this team long-term? Yeah, it does. I, I, I'm trying to find right now as we go through it, and actually I think I just did. Uh, maybe not. Anyway, somebody in a, a Facebook group posted, and it's really small sample sizes before you got here. I only think 66 played appearances at the big league level. But you look at all the different aspects that teams are valuing in offensive players. You look at launch angle, you look at exit velocity, you look at sprint speed, defense, whatever it is. And Derek Fisher in that small sample size is up there in all those major categories near the top. So he's clearly a very toolsy outfielder. And he could be a five-tool guy, somebody who could play quality defense. He can clearly run. There is some power in his bat. So there's enough tools there that makes it intriguing enough to take, I guess, kind of a flyer on, because at this point I would consider him a flyer, given his age, the fact that he was still in the minor leagues, a little bit older. So there's enough there. It's just a matter of unlocking all of his tools. 
even if they can unlock three of the five tools. One of them's already there, actually, so there's one. Uh, if you can unlock a little bit more in it, in it that, then I think you may have something going forward. And if that's the case, then he can solidify himself in the big league level for the next three years. And I think that's what we got to hope and pray on. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, let's keep it moving here. Um, I do want to keep on the front office here and a nice little buzz phrase made by Ross Atkins um, since the trade deadline occurred, uh, specifically during a conference call. Um, I'm sure you've heard all about the 42 years of control. In fact, that you alluded to it earlier when you said that buzzword control. Um, <laughs> yeah. More specifically, ostensibly bragged about how he turned 14 years of control into 42 years of control at the deadline. Um, I get the merit. I get that it's great to have young, controllable assets. I get that it's great to have stability in your organization, specifically from the minor league level all the way up, from low A all the way up to majors. Um, but it raises the question, how many of these controllable assets will see significant time in the bigs and or how many will, have, will be impactful during their tenure as Blue Jays? I don't know that this really resonated well with Blue Jays fans during a pretty delicate time. I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that maybe this guy is a little out of touch when it comes to how to communicate with the fan base? Or is there merit to this 42 years of control aspect? Yeah, the one thing I'll say is this front office has done a lot of good things, whether it's paying minor leaguers more money or just any, anything you can think of, a lot behind-the-scenes stuff, they've done a lot right. They've also hit on a lot of trades this far. That made people be like, yeah, it's actually a pretty good trade. I mean, Aaron Loop for Jacob Wagstack has already proven to be quite a nifty trade. Oh, yeah. Getting a, a Trent Thornton for a Ben Macias was a pretty nifty trade because uh, Thornton's been in the big league level all season long. But when you, they just always constantly seem to get in their own way doing all this good by fumbling the PR aspect of things. And that's a big thing when trying to connect with your fan base. People don't necessarily care, especially the casual fans who will buy tickets when your team is good and making playoff runs. They don't care that you have 42 years of control from these trades. They want to see wins now, and they don't care how many more years that you've added to your organization. So it definitely, from the PR side of things, honestly, it, made, it makes sense. It is a good thing, but I don't think that's something that you should necessarily openly brag about because your fan base, unless you're doing a lot of diving into the minor leagues and just really in tune with things, you're going to lose touch with the casual fans when you say stuff like that. I mean, I get it. Even if some of these guys don't reach the big level, I mean, we better hope that Simeon Woods Richardson and Anthony K do. It seems likely that they both will. But even some of these guys that they added, Thomas Hatch or Kyle Johnson in these trades, even guys that were already in their minor league system, even if they don't reach the big league level, when it comes time for them being able to make trades, that, those years of control will be appealing to other teams when they're looking to add uh, to their minor league system uh, when it comes to future negotiations. So from that point of view, it definitely makes some sense. It also makes some sense in the fact that, yeah, you have these guys around for a while. You can build a sustainable contending team with guys under control for cheap. Now, again, that brings up the whole cheap thing. Adding 42 years of control, it comes across as being cheap. When I'm not sure if they necessarily are, 
But yeah, I, I, it's both sides. I can completely understand both sides of this this thing when it comes to 42 years of control. The casual fan doesn't care about that. They want to see wins now at the big league level. They don't care about wins necessarily five to six years down the road when you're looking at things in 2019. But there's some merit to it as well because you may be able to ship off some of those assets that you acquired in future trades when you're getting ready to make a playoff run again or you need that piece that will put you over the top to make the playoff. Maybe as soon as next year, you never know. But uh, yeah, it amazes me how much this front office fumbles the PR aspect side of things, and this was another one of those fumbles. This is reminiscent of the Vladdy's, I just don't see Vladdy as a big leaguer yet kind of comment, right? And I think that much like we talked about Derek Fisher being under a microscope, specifically after the MLB trade deadline, I feel like Ross Atkins was under a similar microscope. And it makes sense to me that fans would be, I don't know, feel as though he's being condescending in these comments, right? It, it's, it just comes across as better than. It just comes across as I know more than you guys. And maybe that's true, but you certainly don't want to have your fan base feel that way, right? You certainly don't want the Blue Jays fan base, which is a super passionate fan base. Like, you lose these guys, you're in big trouble. Um you don't want to come across as this is the most important thing because it kind of isn't, right? You you can I get that he's excited and you can hear the excitement in his voice and for good reasons. Like this is exciting in an analytical sense and maybe even a business sense as you mentioned that having control is a good thing for your organization, but you can't sell tickets based on control. You can't sell merchandise based on how many years of control you have. You can't expect a fan base to be as excited and as elated and for the aspect of control and for the aspect of holding on to these assets for as long as possible. And you're right, for as cheap as possible, too. Um, it, you can't expect a fan base to have similar feelings and attitude towards that as you do, Ross Adkins. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I think that's where the disconnect is, is that maybe there's maybe he doesn't understand. I feel like very you know, hypocritical saying this in terms of being condescending, but maybe he doesn't understand that there's a lot more to it in terms of piquing fans' interests other than just having controllable assets. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. 42 years of control isn't going to sell tickets now. 42 years of control may not sell tickets three or four years down the road when this team may or may not be making the playoffs. So there's definitely that whole aspect of things too. So. Yeah, I mean, it it just gets back to the whole thing. They consistently botch the PR aspect of things. You're not going to sell fans on 42 years of control. You may be able to go back to 2019, let's say in in 2024, when they are contending for hopefully a World Series, and they're like, yeah, that 42 years of control that we added at the 2019 trade deadline is looking really damn good right now because we have all these guys that we got under our control in the big, big roster. They're contributing to this team, and they still will be contributing to this team for the next three to four years as well. So you can be excited at that time about a sustainable winning team. But current day, it's not going to sell you tickets. The only thing that I think that the front office, they just really don't care if they're selling tickets in 2019 or even in 2020 because they know the fans will come back when this team is making the playoffs 
and making playoff pushes, hopefully as soon as next year, 2021. So my guess is, yeah, it's a great thing that you added that much control to your organization. Your fans aren't going to buy it. They're not going to be happy, but maybe they just don't care about that right now because they know, hey, we're still building this team and we got to do what we got to do to build this team to be a sustainable winner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's great, but, you know, it. Like, all right, so using your example of 2024, let's say they are competing for a World Series and, you know, knock on desk, hopefully they are. Um, that doesn't... I don't know that a lot of people are going to be looking back and be like, oh, man, thank fucking God we had 42 years of control. Man, I'm so glad. We, you know, like, that doesn't make sense to me. But <laughs> I feel like the more likely outcome is going to be, thank God we have these players, right? Thank God we have the Bull Bichettes and the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. even Kevin Biggio, who I think is not getting enough credit, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, Danny Jansen. It, thank God we have these players to really, you know, ask, some stability to this team right now. I feel like that is going to be the attitude. And, you know, the the casual fan or even the diehards, like, I don't ever consider the Blue Jays and say, man, we have so much fucking control right now. This is great. I, I, I'm sorry. Winning trumps that. Winning trumps those attitudes. Winning trumps those little small victories. What I care about is winning. What I care about is the Blue Jays reaching their potential and, you know, bolstering this squad, this core that we have with pieces around them that can help make that extra push. And when Ross Atkins talks about 42 years of control, that doesn't give me faith that he's able to look outside of that. Like, it seems like his view is in a vacuum of the Blue Jays only. Like, his existence is merely what the Blue Jays system is, and he's very, very reluctant to look outside of that to really build up this team. That is what my fear is moving forward. Yeah, and that's exactly what's going to happen. Some of these guys, they may have acquired this deadline when they're contributing to this team, and hopefully they do at that time in 2024, 2023, whenever it is, people will be like, yeah, I'm so stoked to have Jimmy Woodrichardson taking the ball every five days, or I'm so excited to have Thomas Hatch in the bullpen late in games. He's pitching in high leverage innings, so they're not going to look at the 42 years of control. I think that when you're talking about the deadline, instead of bragging about that, why not brag about the guys that get added? Right. The only people that I heard them talk about during the trade deadline in terms of how excited they were with Simeon Woods Richardson and uh, and Derek Fisher, why not? You tr- why don't you try to sell fans on why you traded for Thomas Hatch or why you traded for Kyle Johnson in all these different trades and get people excited about the players themselves? When you look at it from 42 years of control, that comes across as you looking at these guys simply as pieces and assets instead of human beings. And I think that comes down to a huge. It, it's not right. you got to look at these guys as human beings, but you also got to try to instill some excitement in your fan base. Make people be like, yeah, Johnson, he has a great fastball. That's known. His fastball is great as the 60s, according to MLB Pipeline. He can pump high heat out of the bullpen if he's a bullpen arm or a starter. That could get people excited. Get people excited about the actual human being and what they can bring to the team in the future as opposed to being like, yeah. When this guy gets to the big league level, we're going to have him for another six or five years. So be excited about that. I completely agree. I think they did a poor job of selling to the fan base some of these assets that they added, other than Woods Richardson and Derek Fisher, because I didn't hear much talk by Atkins or any member of the front office about how excited they were to add an Anthony K or Thomas Hatch 
or whoever else it was that they added to this ball club. Yeah, it seems that their loins were wet when it came to Derek Fisher. But, you know, when you if you take a poll, I'm willing to bet for Blue Jays Twitter right now, Anthony K is running away with it. Like this, this guy is a great <laughs> Twitter follower right now. And like, I feel like that is the type of shit that they need to capitalize on right now. That is the type of, you know, the, the personalities is what's going to sell. Right. And I think that's what made players like, even if they weren't the greatest, you had players like Joe Biagini who resonated well with fans. You had players like Munenori Kawasaki, who was like a fan favorite, but wasn't even that good, but people loved him. John McDonald, same thing. There was something about him that was, you know, resonated with fans even though he was outstanding at defense he was torrid at the plate like just terrible but people loved him and the it, it, I feel like if they capitalize on the personalities and just humanize these players you're right I do think that they would be better off and maybe like this would lend more towards the casual fan of being receptive to these moves and being receptive to the players and say okay I'm willing to give this a chance because these are cool dudes and then figure out the talent later I know that may be like a chicken or the egg kind of thing it might sound ass backwards to some people but you have to sell a player first before you see them in the big leagues and what better way to sell them you can name all these stats all you want that's not going to resonate well with the casual fans but if you talk about how good of a person he is and how relatable he is that might trigger something to make them investigate into these players a little bit more for sure I think that's what you always got to do at first and something that they definitely mishandled. They got to sell that Anthony K seems like a fantastic individual and it's going to connect with this fan base really well. The Buffalo News put out an article today about Anthony K and his Twitter interactions about learning more about Canada. That was awesome to read. It's awesome oh, yeah. to see that kind of publicity for him. It's a lot of fun to read those articles. So that's going to get people excited be like, yeah, this guy's hilarious. I'm glad that he's at the big league level contributing to this team. Once they're to actually contributing to the team, then maybe you can toot your own horn and say, yeah, well, look, we got him for another four years. Be excited about Anthony K, the person. He'll be around for quite a while. I think that's how you got to sell these trades to the fan base to a point. You can allow the diehard fans to do their own digging and selling themselves on why Wurzelson or K could be good uh, major leaguers. But to the casual fan, they need much more than just 42 years of control or five years of control on a specific individual. The casual fans definitely need to learn about these guys and be like, yeah, they're going to be easy to root for. This guy has a great personality. And as he said, Munanori Kawasaki, they capitalized on his personality. Ezekiel Carrero wasn't very good, and people seem to love him because he seemed to be a very fun individual. So definitely agree with you there. I definitely think that they need to do a better job of promoting their assets from the human being side of things as opposed to the asset management side of things. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, this is going to be the last topic surrounding the front office, and I swear we'll move on from it. Um, I touched on it a little bit when it comes to my confidence in how they're going to navigate this moving forward. Um, I think what set people off as well is that when this front office came into, quote-unquote, power at the two, in 2016, they talked about a five-year period of retooling or reimagining this Blue Jays squad. Um, I think with that, people were like, okay, so 2020, 2021 is when it's going to happen. That's when we're really going to start seeing some movement with this team. That's when we're really going to make an impact again. I guess we can deal with a rebuild because, I mean, that's baseball. Every team has to rebuild eventually. Um 
So having said that, now with this whole 42 years of control thing and as, during an interview with Arash Mandani, he was talking about he doesn't necessarily know now when this window of competition is going to open. It might not be in 2021, which makes me a little hesitant in saying, well, no, man, you kind of sold this fan base on a bill of goods for five-year period. You, ex you expect to extend that a little bit more? That might be a little bit greedy. But regardless, we're approaching a time now in Blue Jays history in which the payroll is going to be at an all-time low. I want to say that uh, it's, what is it, Randall Graycheck and Lourdes Gurriel are the only contracted players that, like, on are not on rookie deals moving forward. Is that correct? Yep, All correct. Right. Yeah, so that is incredibly low. Like, the, the payroll should be no excuse, and I'm not saying they should push the chips in next year. I'm saying that there's going to be an opportunity to spend. Now, the free agent market, from what I looked at for next season, isn't really super attractive, and I wouldn't want to just you know blow all our money on something that might not work out in the long run. I do like this front office's idea of longevity. I think that's valuable. But when it comes time to strike, let's just say 2021, that free agency period the 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 rookies now the kids now are in a groove they solidified their footing they're good to go we just need to add that extra impact ace of an arm moving forward let's spend do you have confidence that this front office will pull the trigger and spend appropriately and pay that quote unquote luxury tax to have players come north of the border to play for the blue jays i do and I'll go back to 2016 when they came into, I guess, power and took over for Anthopolis. A lot of the guys that were the core of that team at the time were already locked into deals from the previous regime. Donaldson was still under contract. Roman and Sanchez were still under control, which this uh, front office likes to brag about. Uh, Bautista was approaching the end of his deal. Edwin was approaching the end of his deal. They did show a willingness to spend the money to keep the team competitive in 2016. They went out and signed Jay Happ. They went out and extended Marco Estrada. And it wasn't a lot of money, but it was smart money. It was a really, really good piece of business signing Jay Happ to that deal and a really good piece of business signing Marco Estrada to that deal. I think people forget the offseason after the wildcard run uh, and going to the ALCS. They offered Edwin Encarnacion more money to kick around uh, than the Cleveland Indians did. Now, there's a whole other argument to look into if whose fault it was. Maybe they pulled the offer a little too quickly uh, from Edwin, or maybe Paul Kinser, his agent, really, really messed it up. Uh, but they offered him more money than Cleveland. When you look at Jose Bautista's deal, it had three years in it. Obviously, there is that mutual option, which was never going to be uh, mutually agreed to. But it was almost $20 bucks for one year. And I know the whole qualifying offer thing was still there with Donaldson. But Donaldson was extended a qualifying offer. Actually, sorry, he wasn't. But Donaldson was still under contract. But there were some pretty high-value guys that they still signed, even taking on Francisco Liriano in trade. To get or, uh, Harold Ramirez and Reese McGuire back in that trade, they took on all of Liriano's money, which was close to $20 million bucks. So they did spend it at the time, but they didn't have to break the bank because a lot of those key contributors were under contract. Now, what I'm thinking is, and I, I, and it kind of worries me a little bit for 2020 because we're seeing the offense take shape. You can go into spring training next year knowing that probably six, maybe even seven of your position players are good to go. They could luck their way into being good next year. And I do think that 
it'll be another year of Matt Shoemaker-type signings and hoping that these guys can catch lightning in a bottle because I still think there may be a little selling of assets to do, whether that's Ken Giles or any other veteran that they decide to sign, like a bullpen arm. But I look at the front office truly taking control, uh, scraping it down to the bare bones at last year's deadline. Because 2017, they kind of went for it. They kind of half-assed it. Yeah. They were kind of hoping that they would be good and luck into a playoff spot. And a lot of their bets were hedged on a healthy rotation. I will say if their rotation was healthier in 2017, there was a good chance that they could have made the wild card again because they were only three back when they went into Wrigley in mid-August. They still had Donaldson under contract for 2018 and hoping that they would be able to sell him off. But they finally started scraping it down to the very bones last year, last year's deadline of 2018, which makes me think this may be another year hopefully not two years, of still trying to accumulate assets and not spending the money at that point. It'll be interesting. I think they will spend money. It won't be anything crazy because I think what we've known about free agents coming to Toronto, especially in baseball and basketball, is that we don't necessarily want to come here for some reason. So you're going to have to overpay like crazy to get a guy to come here. So they'll probably add through trades, and that could be taking on full salary instead of having the other club's salary. So I do think that they will spend the money. It won't be foolish, but also spending money can be looked at as taking on some guy's complete salary like they did with Liriano in 2016 when they got him from Pittsburgh. So, And as you said, they only have two guys that are on this roster that are, contract, that are under contract and fixed contracts beyond this year. So there's a whole lot of money that they can play around with. I would expect maybe one or two guys, maybe Vlad and Bo, who knows? Probably not, but you never know. They may decide to extend them and buy out our beers and pay these guys right now to get some guaranteed contracts on the books. I don't think it will be as soon as 2020. My guess is 2021, and if that's the case, then I do think that they will spend the money because they have in the past. I hope so. Right, because when you look at their history of you know contracts and extensions, um, it's not great, but it's also not bad. Like the the most glaring one that I can think of is Kendris Morales. Like that was a bad contract, and and I get hindsight is twenty twenty, but that was just kind of a knee jerk kind of thing when it came to not getting Edwin, right? And it's like, well, we got to do something. We got to get Kendrick Morales while we can. And it seems like the market wasn't really as aggressive for Kendrick Morales as the Blue Jays were. Um, but again, hindsight being 2020. Other than that, like Randall Graychuk, the the book is still out on him. You can love or hate that contract. And even if you hate it, it's not that egregious to make you really scoff at it and say this is going to hurt or be a detriment to the Blue Jays' payroll moving forward. And you can talk about Justin Smoke. Like, didn't they extend him in 2016? And it's, they did, yeah. Yeah, it's paid dividends, right? It's not. It wasn't a bad extension at all in fact he was a i thought a valuable trade chip because of the contract this past trade deadline so there is a little bit of faith there the thing that i look at is the longest deal that they've extended was a five-year deal to great chuck and the and the money wasn't that much now granted he's he doesn't really deserve that much but it makes me wonder because we haven't seen it you know in the blue jays tenure as of yet it makes me wonder 
how, what kind of contracts are we looking at? Do you think that they're aware of this, you know, the extra money that's going to have to be spent if they want to sign a free agent to come north of the border? Or do you think that they're, as you mentioned, do you think that their sites are solely set on the trade market and maybe this is why they have this whole 42 years of control aspect? Because like I mentioned, you can't play all of them. You can't play all these these prospects. You just can't. So maybe that what they're trying to say without saying it, maybe a wink, wink, nod, nod kind of thing is, yeah, we have 42 years of control to use as currency. Do you see like a, a link between that perhaps? I do. I actually do completely. I think even, and you can bring the Raptors into this discussion as well. It is so hard to lure free agents to Toronto unless you overspend on guys. So I think you have to trade your way into getting superstar talent here. We saw that with Kawhi Leonard. He was traded to be here. We saw that with, uh, with David Price. He was traded to be here, and he didn't re-sign with the team. Uh, Josh Donaldson was traded for. Edwin, Jose. I know at the time Edwin and Jose weren't superstars and turned into the guys that they were as Blue Jays, but still, almost everybody that was acquired in 2015 and 2016 was through trade. So perhaps there is that link. Uh, I, I, I completely agree. I do think there is that link where they can be like, yeah, the control is so going to be so enticing at the time to other teams that we will be able to make these trades for, I don't know, I'll just throw a guy out. I'll throw Garrett Cole out there as an example. Maybe a Garrett Cole equivalent uh, at the 2021 trade deadline where they can be like, yeah, we have enough control here. We have enough assets that we can ship out to get that piece via trade. I do think it'll be much of the same when it comes to free agent signings. It's going to be more guys like a Jay Happ who it, it, the money's good enough for him to come here. I mean, he obviously had the previous experience here, but Marco Estrada as well decided to re-up. I think you have to trade for these guys and sell them on staying in Toronto long-term to then extend them and keep them around even longer past the free agent period. And the Raptors tried it with Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, it didn't work out. They're going to try it with all these young guys that they have on the roster right now uh, when it comes to that time, like Vladdy Jr. and Bubba Shett. Now that they have them under their control, they'll be able to probably have easier negotiations with them. I, and it's the thing to consider, too, when, at, when Anthopolis was building this team, the biggest contract that he signed was getting Russell Martin in the 2015 offseason, and it wasn't even a $100 million contract. At the time, I believe it was only $87 million, which is obviously a substantial amount of money, but not necessarily when you see what free agent contracts are going for these days. So it'll be more shrewd free agent signings and good pieces of business, like Jay Happ was, but to get that superstar talent into Toronto and keep them here for half a year, a year, and maybe try to extend them, at the end of that contract, it will have to be through trade. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I'm just hoping that when it comes to how aggressive they are for prospects or, you know, quote-unquote quad A players, as we're talking about when it comes to Derek Fisher, they're super aggressive in acquiring, quote-unquote, their guy. Right. It, this was, I think this was the case with Simeon Woods Richardson. Like, didn't they really want to draft him, but he was taken ahead of uh, the Jays and they've been pursuing him ever since. Um, yep. Yeah. So, it, same thing with uh, Derek Fisher. Apparently, they really wanted Derek Fisher for quite some time and they finally got him. I'm hoping that they had their sights set on uh, some sort of ace pitcher in, you know, a year or two. 
and maybe right now they're starting to hone their sights on that player right now. Maybe it's a Max Serger. I don't know. But they're they're honing in on a guy and saying, we need to do everything we can to vote and dedicate every possible resource we can to get this guy. Let's make every possible uh, scenario on this whiteboard and illustrate it to see how we can come to acquire this player. Um, if you value anything about this front office, it's, it's their resiliency. Right. And they, when they want a guy, they want him. And I'm hoping that they have that much dedication and resiliency to major league players as they have been illustrating with prospects so far during their tenure in the front office. Yeah, I hope so too. And I think with just the sheer amount of guys that they have in their system, there's not going to be room for everybody at the big league level. So when it comes, when it comes time to actually need to make a deal and get that superstar talent here, Maybe they'll be fine and completely comfortable with adding four guys with big league con- or with major league control down in the minor league system and be willing to part with those assets that they've now gathered. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, luckily, none of the big assets or trades that Anthopolis made has really come back to hurt the team. Uh, so he showed a willing willingness to kind of overpay to get a David Price or a Tulo or whoever it would be. I do think that they will do that. I believe they did that in Cleveland when it came down to it, when they actually had to add a guy at a trade deadline. They shipped off quite a few significant assets that they viewed as legitimate possibilities to be in the Indian state league team, but there just wasn't any room for them. I mean, you look at all the infielders that are in the system right now, there's so many that are going to start knocking on the door for big league time come next year. I want them to start pushing their chips in as soon as this offseason. Because one thing that everybody on Blue Jays Twitter and everywhere you look is starting to realize is like, guys, this offense is already looking really good. We just beat the Rays two or three times, a legitimate playoff contender. We are beating the teams that we're supposed to be in Baltimore and Kansas City. And if you have six out of seven or six out of eight guys that are locked into positions, they're young, they're under control, why not go out and actually try to trade some of your assets to get that ace here? to kind of accelerate the timeline for contention. I don't think it's so out of the realm of possibilities that this team is hovering around 500 at next year's deadline. And I hope if that's the case, that they will start pushing their trips in and shipping off some of these assets that they do have because 2020 could be a lot of fun. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, let's move on from that and let's talk about something else that's been a whole lot of fun. I want to talk about Bo Bichette because Bo Bichette has been fire ever since his arrival. Um, 11 extra base hits in his first 10 games. This is a record that's tied with Pete Alonso during that time span. Um, he has doubled in eight consecutive games. He's batting 409 with the 1.253 OPS. That is outstanding. He set a Blue Jays record by being the first Blue Jay to have 18 hits in his first 10 games, beating out Aaron Hill, who had 15 hits during that same time span. What else can you say about Bo Bichette? I I, I'm really treading carefully, but I feel like the hype that we've lent towards Vladdy, we should have had our, our sights uh, set on Bo Bichette. And that's not taking anything away from Vlad's talent, not at all. But this is the impact we are expecting from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And, oh, we got it from Bo Bichette. It's amazing. It is amazing. And you know what? I was looking at a Fangraph page this morning. For just over, what is it now? He's played in nine, ten big league games and he's almost worth one win as a player. 
crazy. He's been absolutely unreal. He set the uh, franchise mark, I believe. I may, it may even be major league record for the most amount of doubles in consecutive games. It's eight games now that he's hit a double. So he's been everything as advertised. It would not surprise me if once him and Vladdy have fully grown into the players that we expect them to, that Bobachette outwards Vlad Jr. in some seasons. Because Vlad, probably in a year or two, won't be playing third base. He's negative value on defense. Bobachette can be the all-around guy. But wouldn't surprise me in years that Bobachette is more valuable than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Vlad will always have the superstar. He will always be the guy. Uh, and Bobachette, I can already envision it. Bobachette will kind of be like the Edwin Encarnacion to Jose Bautista, the guy that the fan base loves, but everybody still absolutely enamored and completely in love with Jose Bautista. So the fact that they have both of these guys shows that, man, they could be good as soon as next year. And that's not even taking into consideration that Kevin Bezio, Danny Jansen, uh, hopefully Derek Fisher, but there's other guys on this roster that are legitimate content or legitimate pieces moving forward. But Bo Bichette has been fantastic. I do still think that there will be an adjustment period for him uh, at some point when pitchers start to figure him out a little bit more. There will be probably an extended time where he's going through a little bit of a slump because we saw it at every level that Bo Bichette graduated to. Double A, he had some extended struggles. Triple A, those struggles went a little bit longer. I'm honestly floored at how quickly he's gone on fire as he's gotten up here. It's a pleasant surprise, and the front office better be thankful because that's taking away some of the heat from the trade deadline. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember tweeting that out, saying something to the effect that, thank God for Bo Bichette because he is exactly what this fan base needs at the exact right time. Because if yeah. Bo Bichette was not on this tear that he's on, this Blue Jays fan base would have not a lot to cheer about. And seeing him... It's just so exciting because you just see the hunger. You can see the passion and the love for the game that he has and just the will to feel and to show that he belongs here. And I, I have not seen so much of a rookie being that way, that much swagger coming in. I know Vlad, he did have that presence that he belonged because I feel like he was groomed for this. And I feel like that grooming was sort of, broadcasted throughout his entire life. Whereas Bo Bichette, yeah, he's still like the, the son of Dante, but it's it wasn't nearly as publicized, right? Like you have to do some investigating if you're a casual fan to know that, oh, this is a, a, a son of a former major league player. Um, sort of the same thing as Kevin Biggio with Craig. Like it's you have to do some investigating if you didn't know better. But with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., that's sort of present before you even know, just the namesake alone. So... I don't know. It just it it's so invigorating to see someone so hungry and to feel like they belong here because they do. And it's almost as if it's like a silent middle finger middle finger to the front office saying, "I told you I fucking belonged here, and I told you I could have raked here, but you kept me down longer than I should have." And I just love it. I love the confidence. I love the swagger because that is something that has been missing from this team. I I agree, and, and you know what? It's so exciting to see. Would not surprise me if Bobuchet kind of in a year or two plays that role of a Josh Donaldson, where he just comes up to the plate and he knows he's better than you. He knows he's a stud. He's an all star. He belongs. And that brought kind of like an asshole personality to the 2015, 2016 Blue Jays. Oh yeah, they rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, 
And it would not surprise me if Obachet becomes that kind of a personality at the big league level where he knows he's better than you. He's legitimate. He's an all-star every single year like Josh Donaldson was. And you know what, man? It is, it's so fun. I can't help but get giddy at the fact that they've already figured out, yeah, Vlad and Bo are going to be the next version of Jose and Edwin. And if Kevin Biggio or maybe a trade ship becomes like that third piece that Josh Donaldson was, team is going to be so fun to watch in a year, in two years, in three years. It's going to be amazing. But Bobochet has earned to be here. I'm so glad that they did not play the service time manipulation thing with him because he deserved to be up here earlier. And it was really a matter of the fact that one of Sogard or Freddie Galvis had to go so that he could have consistent at that. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly floored. And uh, I, I'm so giddy at how good Bobochet has looked and, and the possibilities for this team moving forward. It is a it is a good time already to be excited and to be a Blue Jay fan again. I love how they under the radar slid number eleven to him, right? Like they, it's not really <laughs> broadcasted about. Like you can't change Pilar to Bichette. Like you really can't if you have a Pilar jersey. But I just love how it's just like they're racing it. Like everyone likes to talk about how this front office wants to. Uh, you know, pretty much obliterate anything Anthopolis, right? You see Reese McGuire with number 10. And I'm thinking, damn, I don't know if he deserves that number, but I'm thinking, ah, it's in the past. It's a new day, man. Boba Shed has number 11. It's a new day. You know, it's it just... I don't know. In the one sense, I'm just like, oh, man, that, that's kind of pulling on my heartstrings. But on the other hand, I'm just like, gotta let it go, man. Gotta move forward. <laughs> and you look at Derek Fisher wearing Josh Donaldson's old number. He's wearing number 20. Is he? Oh, my... <laughs> yeah, he's wearing Dawson World numbers, so that's putting Dawson in the past a little bit, too. It's kind of like, yeah, you definitely don't deserve to be wearing number 20, Derek Fisher. You better hope that you can be something close to that or make people forget. Oh, well, you're never going to forget about Josh Dawson. But I joked the other day that now that there's a number 20 on the team, I can put tape on the back of my Dawson jersey and write Fisher in black markers where that's in the ballpark as a joke. <laughs> Uh, I didn't even notice that, and I'm surprised that wasn't spoken about a little bit louder on Twitter of how dare he wear that number. He didn't deserve right? it. Oh, man. <laughs> Missed opportunities. All right. Um, speaking of opportunities, the Blue Jays have the opportunity to really push the momentum after taking the series at the Trop. They have four games at home against New York. In fact, I think they're at home for the next two weeks, which is pretty good. Um, at least this full week they're home. So they got... Four over the weekend, starting tomorrow, Thursday, against the Yankees, and then three to begin next week at home versus the Rangers. Let's start with the Yankees first. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm f- I'm feeling pretty good after that trip from the trot. That's the house of horrors. The Blue Jays don't have the best of luck. And I think they've they've exercised their, those demons there. So I'm going to say they're going to split this with the Yankees, two out of four. What do you say? I, I, I'm totally on that bandwagon. I'm not sure who's pitching yet for the Yankees this series. I'm actually looking at the probables right now. Actually, no, it's loaded since the last time I looked. So you got Domingo Herman, Jay Happ, and Masahiro Tanaka. I mean, Jay Happ has not had a good year, but the way this offense is hitting, I can expect them to maybe even go out there and beat Herman, maybe beat Jay Happ, and then test your luck with Tanaka and whoever going on Sunday. But, I mean, there's no reason to think that they can't take two from the New York Yankees. It's a lot of fun, and I think that they can continue that in a split against the Yankees with how things have been going. you got to think of that as a a series win uh, for this team, even though it's only two out of of four. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that one. 
Yeah, and I think the Saturday game is a 3.07 start time. So that's a nice little afternoon game, and that's that's a little fun. Let's win that one. Um, then, like I said, they start next week against Texas. Fuck Texas, two out of three. Yeah, I, I'm on that bandwagon, too. I mean, the Rangers kind of sort of starting to fall out of the playoff race a little bit. They're kind of hanging around because of how bad uh, the wild card standings are right now. But, uh, yeah, I uh, I always want to beat Texas. I don't want to uh, ever lose to them, especially when Ruth Nedrador is in our house. So I'm going to go two <laughs> out of three in that one as well. All right. So if we if we have our math right, that's four games out of seven over the weekend and into the middle of next week. It's pretty good, right? I'm not I'm not upset about that, given the state of this Blue Jays pitching staff specifically. Um, I like it, and I think that you know we're talking about these kids. If the Blue Jays continue to rake as they are um, and Bo Bichette continues this tear that he's on, that is reason enough right now for any fan, no matter what level of intensity you are, casual or diehard, that should be enough to pique your interest and to watch these games. So stick with them. Uh, yeah. For sure. Um, having said that, dude, that wraps it up. You know the deal. Your time to shine. Promote any and everything you got going on where people can find you on Twitter. I already know two K's, not two N's. But having said that, dude, floor's yours. Go for it. Thanks, buddy. It's been a, it's been a good show. Glad to be back on. Uh, you can find me at Panacar37 on Twitter and Instagram. But also make sure you tune in to uh, the Jaybird Watching Podcast with Craig Borden and myself. We record uh, once a week. We'll put out a new episode. I think we've started to get into the routine of putting new shows out on Monday nights. Uh, seems to be a little bit of a, a spike for us on Monday. So listen, we're always willing to uh, have new guests on the show. Just come on and talk Blue Jays, set your frustrations, or try to justify the Derek Fisher trade with us. Just anything that you can think of, we're always willing to have you on the show. And hey, if you have a ball game, come and say hello. All the links to where to subscribe to, uh, subscribe to that rather to the show will be in the description of this show. Um, head on over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as they now call it, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts fixed from. Uh, give this show five stars and a review, and give the Jay Bird Watching Podcast five stars and a review. Um, very, very, very high quality stuff. I can't recommend it enough. You guys are close friends of mine, so. Brendan, I appreciate you coming on. Go Blue Jays, and uh, we'll do this again soon. Yeah, buddy. Uh, Phil Blue Jays. Hopefully uh, some good stuff to come over the next couple of days. Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors. Raptors.